0: John 12 is where we're at. We're going to look at the first eight verses. It's It uh, should be a passage that is familiar to you from the standpoint that we've looked at it before. We looked at it even a couple years ago in our, our trek through the Gospel of Matthew. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 26. It's also in Mark 14, so this is a well-known story uh, in, in, the, in the Scriptures, uh, a famous account, if you will. Uh, it's of Mary uh, anointing the feet of Jesus. So John chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Father in heaven, we thank you for Mary's lavish example of love. We thank you, Father, for this demonstration of of affection for her king. And Father, I pray that we might resemble that today. God, whatever's wrong in our hearts, we ask that you would fix it this morning God so that that we see you like Mary saw you. Father we ask that you would do this in us in Jesus name. Amen. So if you're here last week uh, Lazarus raised from the dead by the way last week that was really exciting and uh, we were in John 11 looking at that and kind of where we ended was was just this this unbelievable um, resistance to Christ um by the religious leaders. So so you know they've been they've been opposing him, they've been resisting him, they've been against him and and what becomes really clear in John 11 is it does not matter what happens. Like like the, it reminds me of that that verse in Ephesians where it talks about how how before you 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 come to Christ that your heart is darkened, uh, your 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 heart is hardened. There's this this dark darkness in in your understanding, and, and man, you see that in John 12, in that Jesus raises a dead guy four days in the tomb, and and, and still they will not believe. Uh, Jesus shows himself, proves that he's resurrection and life, and their response to to that is. Well just says I guess it is today. So in, in John chapter 11 verse 53, uh, John 1153 it says, "So from that day on they made plans to put him to death And then later on in verse 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Now man, it's just overwhelming to me that that you could see Jesus raise a dead guy. And your response is okay. Now we've got to kill him, and you put a you put an alert out to everybody. If anybody knows where he is, you got to tell us so we can arrest him so we can get this thing done. Um, that that was their response to the resurrection of Lazarus. And 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 honestly, man, this this is this is tragic. But but honestly, there probably were people in in our three services last week. Um, who who, who read the account, who we looked at it in detail. Jesus raises the dead guy. What does that mean for us? He's resurrection and life. What does that mean for my eternity? We we, we looked at all of that. And and sadly, I mean, I don't know this, but sadly, it is most probable that some people left here completely unimpressed. I'm not talking about with me. I'm talking about with the reality that Jesus raises people from the dead. And there were probably undoubtedly people who left here bored, maybe a little cynical, maybe a little critical, uh, critical of religion, maybe something wasn't right. Um, that, that is the hardness of people's hearts, but not everybody, okay? So in, in John 12, chapter 12, we open up with this beautiful setting. Uh, I, I love it how the last verse of chapter 11 says, so the chief priest made this order, if anybody knows where he is, You gotta tell us so we can arrest him. And what do we find in John chapter 12? They throw a party for Jesus, right? Like, they're completely unafraid. They're completely resistant to the pressure of the authorities. They, they throw this dinner party, this big celebration meal. And man, what a cool celebration meal, okay? So who do we know that's there? Well, we know Lazarus is there, okay? So how cool is that to have a guy who was dead for four days and you get to sit by him at dinner, right? And, uh, you know, hey, what was that like? You know, man, all the questions, right? And, and then what, who we also know was there, we know this guy named Simon the leper was there. It's at his house, okay? So so in verse um. Uh, let's see one and two. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came from Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. They gave dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was there, and reclining at the table. With, uh, maybe, maybe it's not in this one. M- must be in Matthew. Anyway, we know it's at Simon's house. It's not at it's not at Mary and Martha's house. And Lazarus, like it usually is, it's, it's this guy named Simon the leper. Now, what, I don't know anything about him other than this. If you were a leper, people couldn't be around you. Okay, so he must not be a leper anymore. All right. Um, I'm just, just putting this together. You know, I don't have any, I guess, proof of this. But, but you couldn't be around a leper. That, that's very well known in the New Testament. And so the guy probably was a leper, but he's not a leper anymore. We know there was no cure for leprosy in Jesus' day. And so what must have happened? Jesus must have healed this guy, Right. And so how cool, you got Lazarus, the former dead guy, you got Simon, the former leper, and then you got Mary and Martha, and then you got the disciples, right? What What? a, what a great dinner, okay? What a great dinner, uh, celebrating Jesus, celebrating uh, their king, okay? Well, at this party, what would you expect Martha to be doing? You expect her to be serving. Uh, she is. It says that she was serving, even though it's not her house, she's serving. And by the way, this time without grumbling, if you know the Luke 10 uh, uh, account right where where Mary and Martha are are are, are have host Jesus and and Lazarus is there and Jesus is teaching and Mary's at Jesus' feet and Martha's serving but she gets all ticked off because nobody's helping her and she, you know she's frustrated she's agitated okay none of that in in John twelve I I would just I would just make this speculation okay after you see a guy raised from the dead you probably are less likely to grumble about serving Jesus right um I I, I just there's no grumbling here no grumbling in John twelve evidently Martha has got all that straightened out inside of her heart and she's just She can serve with this joyful, celebratory heart, okay? Where's Mary? Mary is where she always is in the scriptures, okay? In in Luke 10, she's at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. In John 11, she's at Jesus' feet in front of the tomb. You know, Lord, if only you'd been here. In John 12, where's she at? She's at Jesus' feet. Every time we see this gal in the scriptures, she's at the feet of Jesus. And one thing is really clear about Mary, okay? Again, we don't know a lot about her. We only have, I think, one phrase spoken by her in the New Testament. It's, Lord, if, if you don't have been here, my, my brother would not have died in John 11. I think that's all we know. Like Mary, Mary, we don't have all these devotional accounts of Mary. We don't have a sermon from Mary. We don't have any of that. We, we, we don't have her talking. We just see where she's at. But one thing is so spectacularly clear about Mary. She loves Jesus. Like she loves him. Some people have a hard time showing that. Effectively. Let me say that. I say effectively because I have couples in my in my office all the time, and one of them will say, "Well, you know, I just don't feel like he loves me or she loves me." And the other one will be like, "What? I love you, you know." And they'll list all these things. Well, I just didn't see that, you know. Like, like they're, they're, it's not being communicated effectively, right? Like, like okay, I, I really do it. You didn't see it, right? Okay, that is not the case with Mary. Okay, like like seeing this account, it is clear. That Mary loves Jesus, and she demonstrates that in incredibly powerful ways. And so a couple questions I I would love for you to work through as we look at this text. And and maybe the two two biggies. Number one, do you love Jesus? There's a lot of different directions we could go with this text. I I want you to answer that one. Like, I, I actually want you to give that thought. Do, do you love Jesus? If you claim to be a believer this morning, the Bible is really clear about this. He loves you, okay? <laughs> like, like let, let's make sure that is established in your heart. Not just in word, but Romans 5.8 says, God has demonstrated his love toward you. He's shown it. You know, he created you, he gave you life and breath and provision and every good thing to enjoy. He has sought you out even when you were his enemy. That's what Romans 5 says. He he pursued you when you disregarded him. When you said with your entire life, you're not important, I don't want you, he came after you even when you rebelled against him, even when you made light of his word, even when you trampled his commands, even when you treated everything and everyone with more honor than you did him, he pursued you. Okay, he came after you. And Jesus demonstrated his love by leaving the glories of heaven and taking upon himself human flesh. And he became a man, a helpless baby, born in in a barn to impoverished teenage parents, not surrounded by a crowd of adoring relatives at a hospital, no, 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 rather wrapped in rags and placed in a feeding trough to grow up in a nowhere place called Nazareth, his earthly father, a blue-collar worker, also that he could identify with your struggles. So that when, when you say, Jesus, life is hard, he's like, I know, <laughs> I know, I lived it. When, when you say, man, it, 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 there's temptation, and there's struggles, and there's weakness, and there's pain, and there's suffering, Jesus knows all of that. He came after you, and he lived a life that he might identify with everything that you have identified with so he could be your perfect high priest. He lived without sin. He lived without ever giving in to temptation, not even once. He lived the perfect life so that he could give it to you in righteousness. And then Jesus demonstrated his love for you in paying your penalty for sin to make you suitable for God, to, to forgive you, to pay the penalty of your, your sin debt. He gave his life that you might live. He rose from the dead, defeated death, sin, in the grave. Then he offers you eternal life. He offers you to be joined to himself, connected to his life so that you will live forever, so that you'll have his inheritance adopted into his family, become a fellow heir with Christ, have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and fading. is what 1 Peter says, kept in heaven for you. Guys, I'd say he loves you, okay? Like like demonstratedly, he loves you. It's hard for me to believe that you can look at all that and say, I just don't know that he cares about me. He does, all right? So now back to the original question. Do you love him? There's there's lots to love about Jesus, okay? So if you answered yes, and I hope you have, okay, the next question is, I think equally as important. So how is it that you show your love for Jesus? How do you do that? Like, there's probably a whole bunch of answers to that question, okay? I'm not saying there's one answer. There's probably a whole bunch of answers. But I would just like for you to think that through. Like, how do you demonstrate that? How do you show your love? He showed his love for you in the ways we just described, right? Like, he has demonstrated his love in this way. He left the glories of heaven and he was born in poverty and identified with all your pain, suffering, and struggle. He, he lived a righteous life. He fought temptation. He, he he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He, he invites you. He calls you. He, he brings you into his family. He gives you his inheritance. He joins you to himself. Okay. He has demonstrated his love for you. Now, I, I think a lot of you are going to say, I love him. My next question, how do you love him? Okay. How, how do you demonstrate that to him? Again, there's lots of answers to this. Well, one easy answer that we're gonna to get to here in a couple weeks is um, in John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, okay? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So, so I mean, one of the ways is if we love him, you know, then, then we'll trust him. I mean, that's part of it, right? Like if we see, like he's all of this and he's proved his love for me, then I trust him. Like I, I believe him. I trust his word. I trust his, his plan for me. And, and so because I trust him, that next step is really important. I'm gonna obey him. Like I'm gonna follow him. I want to because I love and trust him, okay? So obviously that that's a, that's a pretty easy answer. And that was absolutely true in Mary's life. But with Mary, it's even more crisp. It's even more clear. It's even more affectionate in the following two ways. Number one, Mary showed her love by a willing sacrifice of great worth. Okay, Mary showed her love by a willing sacrifice of great worth. So in, in chapter 12, it says that um, Mary comes in, verse 3, she took a pound. Okay, that's a lot. Of, it's really a lot. A pound of expensive ointment. So when you think about uh, perfume, you know, how many of you buy that by the two liter, you know, or by the gallon or by the pound? You know, you usually don't, right? Like like, like really, really good Cologne perfume, I don't have any of it, so I'm just telling you what I've seen as I walked through Dillard's, okay? But anyway, it usually comes in little bitty bottles, right? Like by the ants. All right, so this is a lot, okay? And and, and it's probably was, was never intended to be used really for her or or it was probably an investment. I mean, th- this was one of those things in Jesus day that you would buy as an investment. That you would buy as capital to be able to use later for for maybe your retirement or for your old age, or maybe it was an inheritance. I I don't know. I don't know how she got it. But it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So so it was a fragrant oil, pure nard. So it's this fragrant oil prepared from the roots and stems of an aromatic herb from Northern India. Okay, probably why it was so expensive. It had to be imported in. It was it was worth according to Matthew twenty six and Mark twenty four Mark fourteen. It was worth three hundred denarii, which would be a year's wage. Okay, so so whatever you think, you know, I don't know whatever, whatever a a year's wage is today for a a worker. That's that's how much this was worth. Okay, so this most likely was everything Mary had in the world. Probably like like you would think. Um, I don't know what her net worth was, but we know. We're not, we don't read of her having a husband. She lives with her sister and brother. Uh, it'd be unusual for her to have a career. It was probably an inheritance. It was probably um, something maybe passed down to her. Um, but here's the deal. Mary is pouring out a lot of money on Jesus' head and feet, okay? And she pours it out on Jesus, and it's gone, right? Like, what, what does she get for her life savings? What does she get for her, her return on her investment? Well, let, let me give you the the disciples' opinion, okay? So the disciples, verse 5, uh, Judas is the leader of this. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In, in Mark four, um, four, 4, 14, 4, I'm sorry, says, there were some who said to themselves, we know Judas is the one who said this indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? In Matthew 26, verse 8 says when the disciples saw it again Judas leading their way here they were indignant they're angry they're upset they're they're stirred up they're 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 irritated at this saying why this waste okay so it's really clear what the disciples what Judas particularly thought of this like this is a waste this was spent unwise. It, it wasn't their money, by the way. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how people always want to criticize other people's gifts? Okay, but it wasn't theirs. It didn't belong to them. But they're irritated and frustrated because in their minds, this was a waste. It was spent unwisely. The, the, in their opinion, Mary did with a valuable thing what was not a valuable investment. And, and they offer suggestions even. You know, here's what you should have done, Mary. You should, If you're going to give it away, you should have sold it, and you should have given it to the poor, right? If Mary was going to pour all that money out, she should have at least turned it into bread and fish and little debbies and rice and whatever to, to, to feed poor people. In their mind, that would have been a greater value. But Mary disagrees, Jesus disagrees, and the Bible disagrees, okay? Now, obviously, there's a limited benefit to Jesus smelling good for a few days. Uh, Did you notice uh, chapter 12, verse one? This is the beginning of Passover week. He's gonna be dead in a week. Like he's headed to the cross. This is the final week of Jesus' earthly life. He's gonna be tortured, he's gonna be flogged, he's gonna be crucified this week. Okay, but here's the thing. All right, so I, I, I know, I agree with the disciples. There surely was a limited value to smelling really good for a couple days. Okay, but he, here's, here's the deal. Mary is treating Jesus like the king that he is. Okay, that's the beauty of this right here, okay? Mary is treating Jesus like the king that he is. At the core level, you know what's wrong with the world? People don't treat Jesus like he's king. Like that, that's what's wrong with the whole world. That's what's broken about this whole thing. That, that, that's where every evil and every messed up sin, distortion, uh, grievance, um, terrible act, that's where it all comes from is this reality that people do not treat Jesus like he's king. And here you've got one gal that treats him like he's the king of the universe? Like, what do you give to the king of the universe? That, that'd be my question to the disciples, okay? You know, the creator of everything, the king of kings, the one who owns and sustains it all, the one who's about to be, to be tortured and give his life so that you can live forever, come see your house, what do you give him? Rice cakes and peanut butter, like, like what's he worthy of? And so, here you have Mary, this one little spot of time, this moment where Jesus is seen and loved and treasured for the king that he is. And and he's exalted. And, And here's what the Bible is bearing testimony to. Exalting Jesus, honoring Jesus, bringing glory to Jesus is a greater value than people having peanut butter, crackers, and rice. It just is. Now, now, obviously, the Bible is for feeding the poor, okay? Like Genesis to Revelation, okay? The early church. I mean, everything about it. Jesus himself. Who's the guy that fed 5,000, all right? I mean, obviously, yes, okay? Not, not, we're, I, we're, nobody's arguing with that, okay? But, but what, what is very clear here is that honoring Jesus is a greater value, Because the disciples don't see the value of Jesus, the full value of Jesus, the value of sacrifice is all relative to the value of the one being sacrificed for. Does that make sense? So, so whenever you look at, man, was that worth it? You have to look at who, who is worthy, okay? Um, when we were going to Yellowstone National Park uh, many years ago, um, we, we, uh, I bought a CD series and it had all kinds of information about Yellowstone that we listened to all the way up there. And then one of the CDs, it was like tragic deaths at Yellowstone. And so it went through all these, you know, terrible things that have happened at Yellowstone. I thought that was a good way to prep the kids for a vacation. And so one of the things, one of the things that happened that just sticks in my mind, I've used it many times as an illustration is this guy is there with his dog and his dog jump, falls in whatever to one of those thermal pools They're like 500 degrees or whatever, you know. And the, the guy immediately starts like taking off his backpack and he, he's going to jump in and people are yelling at him, no, 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 no. And he says something like, you know, buy whatever I will, you know, and jumps in after, you know, spot. Okay. And obviously everybody dies. Okay. And, and here would be my point. Okay. Um, Snickers is not worth dying for. okay, It's not. We had, we had joy Friday night, and, and it was asked Pastor Jason. I came ready for all these theological questions, and, and actually, it was really fun. Uh, most of the questions were about my testimony and, and kind of MI's life, and you know, things, so that, that was all great. Um, but, like, so one question was, Do you really hate dogs? You know? And I'm like, I don't know that I've ever said I hate dogs. I, I, I don't like to clean up. I mean, I've just made this case, and I told my, my family about it, and all weekend they were like, Dad, you lied. You should have said wow. Like, ah. So frustrating. Listen, if my kid falls in the thermal pool, I'm probably going in after him. If your kid falls in the thermal I'm probably going in after him. It's worth it. If I could save him, let's do it. If your dog goes in, I'm gonna hold you back and say, let him go, all right? Like I ain't even letting you go in after Fido, okay? There's not enough value there. I know you love him. Please don't get all discouraged about that. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? In other words, you have to to see the value of the one you're sacrificing for. Jesus has unlimited value. That's the point. Like, What would you give for Jesus? Well, what would you give for the King of Kings? There's actually a parable about that. Matthew 13, remember? One of my favorites. 44 and 45. Man was going across a field. He stumbles upon a treasure. He uncovers a treasure. It's worth more than he can imagine. He covers it back up. Why? Because he's got to go buy the field. He doesn't own the field. And so he goes and covers the treasure back up. He runs straight back home and puts a for sale sign on everything. In other words, he is willing to give up everything in his life joyfully, it says. Matthew 13 says, Joyfully he will give it all up. Why? Because the treasure is so valuable. He's not losing, he's gaining. That's Jesus. Mary sees that. Mary knows that. In a week, Jesus is going to give himself to be falsely accused, mocked, spit upon. Spit upon, can you believe that? The Son of God allowed men to spit in his face. He didn't destroy him with the word of his mouth. He didn't call 10,000 angels to bring him down off the cross and slay every human being on the planet. No, he didn't do that. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. It's the most valuable thing that has ever happened. And Jesus' death provides a way for me not to go to hell forever. A billion years under the wrath of God. Jesus' death makes it possible that that won't be me. His death provides a way for my past to be forgotten, for my transgressions to be covered, for my sin to be atoned for, for me to be right with God, for me to be filled with the Spirit and transformed and become a new creature in Christ. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provides a way for me to live forever. Jesus just raised Lazarus to prove that all of that is true. The biggest benefit to you and me and our children and the nations ever is Jesus. And folks, I believe if Mary could speak here, she doesn't, but I believe if she could answer back here, you know what I think she would say? I think she would say, my sacrifice is too small. It's too small. I wish I had more to give. I think that's the reality of it. My gift is too small. Jesus is worth more. I'll tell you this, whatever you've given, he's worth it. You haven't given too much. I have no idea how much money you've invested in the gospel or the church or the mission of God to the world or the poor for his sake. I have no idea about that. I have no idea how much time. I have no idea how much praise. I have no idea how much worship. I have no idea how, much, how many thanksgivings you have offered to God. But I, I know this, you can't get to the point where Jesus is not worth that. You're well below his worth, okay? We, we all are, that's what I'm saying. Like, Like, it it can't be too much. What what are you giving to show, to demonstrate that Jesus is worth it? Okay, now, careful, not not to buy salvation. You can't do that. You can't do that at all. I mean, there's there's no amount of buying Jesus' love or grace or worth. I mean, you can't do that. Uh, not, not paying him back. I hear people talk about that way. You can't pay him back. That's like, that's like me calling up my mom and dad, buying him a Coke at Sonic and saying, hey, we're even now, right? Like, like you know, you, you birthed me into the world and raised me and everything, you know? Here's your, your Dr. Pepper, we good, we square, you know? I mean, that's silly, right? Like, I, I can't ever, you, and, and, and a billion times more, you can never pay Jesus back No, 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 what you're giving, you're giving because Jesus has given so much. What you're giving, you're giving to exalt him because exalting him is a high value. Honoring him as king is worth something in this world. Like it matters. It has a tangible benefit to it. It's almost like righting the wrongs of the world. That's really what you do when you show Jesus' worth. This this whole world is broken and bent the wrong way and, and an act like Mary's for just a split second in time almost rights the wrongs. It almost turns things to truth. Like this is what ought to happen. You ought to lay down your life and pour it out for Jesus because he's worth that. I would say that Mary's life had an incredible return. You know, the disciples were like, man, you just wasted all that. It's on the floor. You know, you, you, you wiped it up with your hair. It's gone. What in the world? You could have sold it. We could, we could be sitting here with, you know, $30,000 that we could be distributing to the poor. You know, now it's just all gone. Well, I, I don't actually think that's true. So when you look at Matthew 26, 13, here's what Jesus says about Mary's sacrifice. He says, truly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then in Mark chapter 14, uh, once again, same same sort of thing. Verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying Mary's sacrifice has a continual return. Okay? The exact opposite of what the disciples said. What would they say? You just wasted all that, Mary. I think if Judas could have scooped it up, he woulda. You know, if if it, if it had been a, a a tile floor and he could have gone over there with a you know a, a dustpan or something and got it up in there and poured it back in so he could sell it again, I think he would have done it. But no, it was all it was all just poured out. And he's like, man, it's done, it's over, it's gone, it's wasted. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He said, "What Mary just did will have a tangible return." for thousands of years, and it has because we're talking about it today. Like we're fulfilling Jesus' words this morning in talking about what Mary's done. Mary's gift becomes a part of the gospel. It becomes a part of the gospel story. Mary's gift becomes a part of Jesus being exalted. Mary's gift has been used to bring people to Jesus, to strengthen the faith of the saints, to spur on God's people to love and and good deeds, to stir up true worship of Christ among the nations. People on every continent of the globe are being blessed because Mary's gift was poured out for the sake of Jesus. Now that's a lot bigger return than turning it into cash and buying crackers for the people. How fast do you eat up $30,000 worth of crackers? I don't know. Depends on how many poor people you have, I guess. But eventually they're eat up and they're gone. And have you ever noticed this? People keep getting hungry. Like, like it, it, it had been gone. Great. It's great to feed the poor, but they get hungry again. But, but Jesus is turning our attention to this greater investment. This, this investment of the exaltation of Jesus that actually has a return forever. It's really interesting, isn't it? To think about that your heart's praise, your exaltation, your truth speaking, you you giving glory to Jesus at the truck stop could have this eternal return on the investment. Mary didn't waste a drop of that perfume. Every aromatic ounce impacted the world, impacted her eternity, impacted the eternity of myriad of souls. Mary spent it well. And, and listen, like, should we even be surprised at this? I mean, isn't this kind of the principle of the New Testament? Let, let me show you a passage. We, we may jump into this passage next week. I don't know. But but it's later on in here in John 12. But let me turn your attention to verse 24 and 25. Jesus is given a, a kind of a spiritual truth here. He says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, now, I know he's talking about several levels of things here. He's talking about himself, okay? What's he going to do? He's going to die, and he's going to be buried, and man, that's he's going to raise again a man, the world's going to be changed, right? So Jesus' death brings about, Jesus giving up his life brings about the transformation of the world through the gospel, okay? But it also has application for us. Notice the next verse, verse 25, whoever, that invites us into that okay whoever loves his life loses it whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life if anyone would serve me he must follow me where i am there will my servant be also if anyone serves me the father will all, will also honor him so jesus is talking about you know inviting you into that give up your life and you'll find it i mean that thing that he says all the time Whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever gives up his life, you know, what's he saying? He's saying, if you try to protect your life, that's what Judas is doing, right? Who's Judas thinking about in this passage? Judas is thinking about one guy. He's thinking about Judas, okay? He's thinking about, what about me? What about my savings? What about my pay? What about, what am I gonna get for my return? He's thinking about him, okay? Jesus is inviting you to a different kind of life. He's inviting you to pour out your life For the sake of others, in his name. And he said, you'll find life. Give your life away for Jesus and God brings about much fruit. So I ask you again, what are you spending your life on? What are you pouring out for Jesus? Please, these are great small group questions, by the way. Like, how are you pouring out your time? For Jesus? How are you pouring out your mornings? How are you pointing out your Wednesdays? How are you pouring out your conversations? How are you pointing out your what are you using your kitchen for that has some kind of eternal return? how are you how are you leveraging your relational capital? What kind of connections are you making that that you, you could pour your energy, your life, your money, your time? How can you pour you out for the sake of the gospel? Romans 12 1 and 2 commands us, says now concerning whoops. That's not right. Oh, that's 1 Corinthians. Man, I had... Man, that was disorienting there. I thought, I don't know my Bible. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, pour out your life like... Like, give your life as a sacrifice to God. Paul did this, by the way, Philippians 2.17. Listen to how he talks about his life. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. I think Paul is real intentional there in using drink offering. You know, because a drink offering, you pour it out and it's just gone. Like, you're just pouring it out for Jesus' sake. There doesn't seem to be any tangible Thing. Do you remember the, the story in the Old Testament where David, um, David makes this statement, they're out living in caves under the gun, things are terrible, and David makes this statement, they're all sitting around the fire to his guys, he's like, man, what I wouldn't give for a drink from the well of Bethlehem, you know, and everybody goes to bed and couple of those guys those mighty men they get up in the middle of the night and they're like we're gonna get him a drink you know they break through the enemy lines you know fight their way all the way into the the well of Bethlehem get some water fight their way all the way out and they bring it to David you know I mean this is incredible I mean it's a great image of how we should treat our king you know but then you remember what David does with it It's, it's almost disappointing you know what does he do he just pours it out, you know, to God, to God. I mean, that's very, very clear. He, it says he poured it out into the Lord. And you're all like, ah, those guys just risked their life, you know. But, but that's the imagery. And that, that was the beauty of the drink offering. You know, they would, they would bring wine or whatever and to the, the priest and they would just pour it out on the altar. It just, it just poured out. Again, like what, what, are, what are onlookers gonna say? You wasted that. David, you wasted that. What was David's perspective? No, I poured it out to the Lord. I said, Lord, you're the one that's worthy of this. You're the one that's worthy of these men's sacrifice. I'm giving it to you. And that's what he wants from your life. Pour it out. Okay, real quickly. We'll just spend a, a few moments on the second one. Second of all, notice that Mary loves Jesus by taking the posture of a humble servant. Um, verse 3, she anoints the feet of Jesus. Um, we're going to talk a bunch more about that when we get to chapter 13 in John, all right? Um, but, but here's the deal. That was the role of a servant. In, in Jesus' day, it was everybody wore sandals. The, the streets were muck and dirt and dust and mud and manure and yuck, right? And so one of, the, one of the ways that a household of means served their guests was the lowest guy in the total bowl, the bond servant. He would wash the feet, okay? It was only the job of the lowest servant, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, okay? And Mary takes his perfume, Matthew and, and Mark tell us, that she starts at his head and then, and then she, she anoints, goes to his feet and, and she anoints his feet, Okay? Think of feet as the stinkiest, smelliest part of you, okay? And then what does she do? This has great imagery. Um, what, a woman's hair is significant, okay? 1 Corinthians 11.15 talks about a woman's hair being her glory. Um, maybe that doesn't make sense to you, but maybe this will make sense to you. Women care about their hair, okay? Um, they care about their hair depending, like varying degrees, okay? But But... In, in general, at a much greater degree, probably, than everybody else. Um, how many of you guys were held up today because your wife was working on her hair uh, to get to church? Don't raise your hand. That's a foolish thing to do. But I'm just I'm asking a rhetorical question, okay? Um, how much money uh, does the average American woman spend on hair? You know, cut color extensions, uh, it, it's a lot. Um, I, I actually Googled that, and, and one, one estimate said $55,000 in, in a lifetime is uh, what a woman, I think, was like something like, Anywhere from California was the highest. 150 a month was the average. Uh, down to I think our states were like 80 or something like that. And I'm just thinking my girls don't spend that because you know if they do, I don't know where they're getting that money. All right. Uh, but anyway, women care about their hair, right? And First 1 Corinthians 11:15 talks about hair. Woman's hair being her glory. So do you see the picture of this? Mary. And by the way, it was it was it was really scandalous for a woman to even put her hair down in public. Mary, Mary, put your hair down. And she takes her glory and she dries off Jesus' feet. There's great imagery there in this posture of humility. Jesus, I'm going to take my, my best thing, my, my, my glory, and I, I'm going I'm to dry, I'm going to use it as a rag to dry your feet. That's who I am compared to you. Isn't that beautiful? She's saying so loudly, you are worthy. You're worthy. And I, I, what gets in the way so often for us is our pride. What gets in the way is us being like what I deserve and what I ought to get and what I haven't got and how people don't treat me. Man, when... When you're in the presence of Jesus, Mary feels none of that. And she takes her hair and dries his feet. Paul was saying the same thing when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. The centurion was saying the same thing when he said, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. Peter was saying the same thing when they caught the great catch of fish. And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When you see Jesus for who he is, you're not thinking about what you deserve. Or how bad you have it. Or how you just lost your life savings. Poured out. No, you're not thinking about any of that. Your eyes are on the one who is worthy. The one who can save you. Quickly, and and we're not going to do very much here because there's a bunch coming up. What about Judas, okay? So Judas is, is in almost every way the opposite of Mary. Right, so verse four, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Again, Matthew 26 and Mark 14 say, he says very specifically, why this waste? This is a waste. So here's the thing about Judas. Judas is thinking about himself. He's thinking about what that money could do for him. And it's really clear what Jesus is worth to Judas, isn't it? Like, we all know that. What's Jesus worth to Judas? 30 pieces of silver. That's exactly what he's worth. And and I think there's a great metaphor in in all of that. Okay, so when you see the value of Jesus and you pour your life out for him and you, you humble yourself and exalt him and you live, and, and what you do matters forever, okay? When you turn away from Jesus, and you're like, man, I've been following him for three years, now he's going to the cross. What am I gonna get? I'm not gonna get nothing. What about me? And, and you, you go over and scramble and try to accumulate what you can get. Where does that end? Just to be really scripturally specific, it ends at the end of a rope dangling over a ravine on your way to an eternal hell. And I, Jesus and Mary are, are really contrast pictures of, of how you're going to live your life. Are you going to live for you? What you can grab and get? Or are you going to pour it out and trust Jesus to take care of you? Man, vivid imagery today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I I thank you, Jesus, that you have showed us so clearly that you love us. You love us with an eternal love. You love us with an everlasting love. You love us with a steadfast love. Jesus, you've showed us that in the cross. You've showed us that in your incarnation. You've showed us that in in every way. And Father, I, I pray, God, that we would see the value of Jesus and that we would love him and that our lives would say that we love Him. Father, keep us from sin. Keep us from selfishness. Keep us, Father, from from demanding our glory and not seeing the glory of the one who's worthy. Father, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen.